0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business.
1: On today's show, we speak to Annette Katinas, about leaving the legal profession to pursue entrepreneurship, spread her mission for Barefoot Horses, and how she grew to become a global brand.
0: Co-founder and CEO of Scoop Boot, Annette Patinas, LLB, LLM, is one of Tasmania's leading exporters supplying equine hoof boots to customers across 90 countries. Having led a successful legal career, As a litigation lawyer and then barrister, Annette established Boot in 2015 with fellow co-founder and farrier Dave McDonald. The business has grown exponentially since, having entered new markets, expanding their product range, and establishing distribution partners in the U.S. and in Europe. Annette has been the key driver of the business, taking it from startup phase to become a leading tech-quine e-commerce enterprise with a multi-million dollar turnaround. Annette is a true Tasmanian and was born and bred on the island where she grew up with horses from a young age. Her passion for the well-being of horses was her motivation to launch scoop boot hoof boots, which are a healthier alternative to iron shoes. Annette's vision is to advance the barefoot movement globally as she continues to disrupt the 2,000-year-old tradition of nail-on shoes. Annette is
1: an active member of the Tasmanian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Tasmania Information, Communication, and Technology, and the Australian Women's Network. She is sought-after speaker, panelist, and judge supporting women in business. Since establishing the company internationally, Annette's impressive list of award recognitions include five-time Tasmanian e-commerce export winner, exporter of the year, STEM Excellent Awards Innovation Category, Telstra National Award winner, Telstra Tasmanian Business of the Year, Telstra Emerging and Energized winner, two-time finalist, and the Telstra Women Business of the Year Awards.
0: Hi, Nat. Thanks for joining us. Um, We're excited to talk to you and learn more about you and your business and how you started it. Thank you for having me. Um, Can you tell us when you first realized you wanted to build a business? Well, I was practising as a lawyer and um,
2: I thought that there's got to be a better way to make some money. Um, It's a bit of a hard slog and, as most lawyers would know, And um, I started looking around, seeing what I could do. I always wanted to do something online um, and I had a few ideas, but I just didn't know how to commercialise them. So I happened to um, leave uh, Melbourne, where I was living at the time, and uh, moved back to Tasmania um, and I reconnected with my farrier and well my former farrier when I used to shoe my horse and he had just done the R&D on a new product and it happened to be a hoof boot and he was the first designer of the first practical hoof boot um, in the 1980s and so he had sold the patent to that and set out designing a new boot and so I, I guess I um, reconnected with him at the time when he was trying to find someone to take this product to market and of course i did my due diligence as good lawyers do and realized that the barefoot market was really picking up speed and it was a big empty space with really not too many hoof boots in it and i thought well this is this is going to work and so i set about setting up the legal infrastructure And that took around six months. And then, of course, I started marketing the product and got a whole lot of people excited across the globe. And then we started producing in um, 2014. And then we launched in 2015. So that's really how I started this product. It wasn't, I can't take the accolades for designing this product. It was my business partner, but I certainly brought it to market and, um, and fast forward eight years or so, we're um, really across the globe in 90 different countries.
0: Wow. And what's your horse background? Did you ride? Yes, I did. Um, I rode um, from when I was very young uh,
2: and I uh, did a little bit of show jumping in my day just around the state here in um, on this island of, of, of Tasmania. And... Um, Probably up to uh, uh, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3 meters. Not not that big, compared yeah. to what they jump these days. I don't know, meter not, 30 is pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would never jump that big now. That's for sure. <laughs> it's scary. I, I've um, I've got a bit older and more sensible now. Um, mm-hmm. but so um, so I had a lovely show jumper, Clardy Cross. Um, he was a very very um, brave show jumper and um, went clear all the time, so we did really well. But then I um, then ended up having to concentrate on my profession, and um, show jumping went by the wayside. And then um, I really just only just hit the trails now, a little bit of dressage, but um, just riding,
0: just yeah. riding the beautiful nature trails here in Tasmania on our island. Is it nice to have moved into um, a job and a business that kind of blends with Mm -hmm. your passion for horses too? I I love it. Mm -hmm. Just love it. Because
2: what we're doing is we're trying to, I guess we're innovators and disruptors in a 2,000-year industry. And I'm not trying to disrupt it so that farriers um, are out of a job at not at all we're wanting farries to pivot into this new way of going with barefoot horses and providing protection for them so um you know the barefoot movement is gaining momentum and mm. um, we just don't sell a product we are passionate about the welfare of horses so if i can get one horse out of shoes and go barefoot like they should go then and and how they were you know born then um, i've achieved my objective so we're very very much um involved in the passion in in the welfare of horses mm. and yeah, so finding both is just wonderful you know you get up every day and you hear about all these amazing stories that um how horses have transitioned you know they've had a lifetime in iron and they've transitioned And they're barefoot. And sometimes that transition is difficult, but sometimes it's easier. Um, so it's it's very exciting to see that happen. And there's a huge movement towards barefoot now. You've Mm -hmm. probably heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I I just want to go back for one second when you said you, you know, kind of slowed down with your show jumping once you were focusing on your career. Um, I'm assuming as a lawyer, right? Um, did you give it up completely was there a time you spent away or did you always have a
2: horse no so I moved away from the island to the mainland Australia and so my horse um, I I, I semi-retired my horse then because I was so busy and I wasn't coming home that much so when I I moved to Melbourne which is um, a large city in Australia and Uh, I was so caught up with the profession and I was so busy as a lawyer, I just didn't have time. I would come home and ride, but I didn't really ride while I was away. I lived in Melbourne for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Then as soon as I came home, which was 10 years ago, the first thing I did was go out and and find myself a horse, a little little, um, Welsh cob, um, Section D, and oh, um, nice. <laughs> oh, very sassy she is. And um, and then my niece then took over. Um, her. Um, I had her um backed and, and got her ready for my niece to ride. And then, and then I'm um looking after a, a lovely big Clydey Cross with a thoroughbred for a friend of mine. I've had him for a couple of years now, and you'll probably see he's um, my model for the business. Mm-hmm. So he. Gets to model a lot of the product and new products. We've just launched some marine, um, new marine coloured mud straps. So we did the shoot with him um, a, a week ago, and actually tomorrow uh, we've just launched a sizing app for our hoof boots. So oh. he's going to be used as the model for the launch. We're having a formal launch. Oh, so
0: gets cool.
2: to used awesome. quite a bit in the business. He's very handsome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And having spent so much time, um, you know, in the legal profession, do you feel like you've always had an entrepreneurial spirit that you just weren't able I to? Have,
2: I have my dad. He was very entrepreneurial. And so I think I might have caught that entrepreneurial spirit off him. He was always trying to have a go at things and 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 successfully at times as well so i've always wanted to have a project on the go and as i said before i always wanted to look at a product that i could commercialize so i was always looking and thinking and wondering what i wanted to do and it just so happened as i said i was very lucky that i reconnected with my former farrier and and so my entrepreneurial spirit came alive at that time and i, I said about um, setting up Scoot Boots, so I was very excited. I, I get up every day, and I'm, I can't believe that I'm, I'm I'm doing this for a
0: job. <laughs> yeah, oh, That's great.
1: So you really didn't have any experience in
2: product development prior to this, huh? Absolutely not. <laughs> it, um, I had no experience whatsoever, but you quickly learn, and of course, you learn by your mistakes because everyone mistake makes mistakes when they're starting out in a in a startup. But um, I had the benefit of um, Dave, the creator at Scoot Boots. He had done it all before, so he was very much involved in the product development at the outset in relation to this product. I'm very much involved now with product development with all our. We started with eight sizes when we launched. We've now got. almost 40 sizes we started out with eight SKUs we've now got almost 400 SKUs so we've been very much and I've been very much involved in the development of all those accessories we have a little bit of riding apparel but mainly accessories that complement our core products
0: Mm.
2: yeah Yeah, and and
1: I'm just thinking about like him being a farrier the insight that he must have into uh, the market and everything, that must be super yes. valuable.
2: Absolutely. So he designed the product knowing how the hoof functions and performs. And that's vital if you want this product to be Successful, so um, he designed this product knowing, as I said, that the hoof anatomy and how the horse functions and and performs and moves, and um, it's a, a one component design, so it hugs the hoof wall, and that's what gives it security. And um, we do have straps, but they're a secondary source of securement, except for the mud strap. So he is very much he's so. Um, experienced um, with his background as a farrier to be able to understand the mechanics of a hoof function.
1: Right. So I've got
2: the benefit of his um, mindset being totally focused on how a hoof performs or how a horse performs, how a horse moves and how our boot complements the horse and the horse's movement and how it doesn't impede that horse's movement. So it's a very crucial, very pivotal role in in this in this business. Mm. Have you had much pushback from farriers, traditional um, farriers? At the outset, I think we did, um, and I think once a farrier is aware that another farrier designed the product, I think they uh, they probably um, aren't as I don't know. I I have to. Uh, I'm not quite sure how how I can explain this, but I guess one of their own is actually involved in the business. Yeah. So, and
0: give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah.
2: Look, we want to work with farriers because our product, if if a horse is shot, our product is sometimes used as a spare tire. So we we pitch our product to many farriers who. Um, who will use our product for their client um, in case they're on a, like a, a, a extended ride over a period of time, and they can just use our product as a spare time to get them to the end of the ride. Mm-hmm. So, and also, you know, we want to work with ferries. They're out are They're, they're out. You know, we have many ferries who are stockers, mm-hmm. and who um, not only shoe but also. Um, sell our product at the same time, whoever, um, whatever clients they have that want to go barefoot, so and use a boot as protection. So you know, we we want to work with farriers. We we think I, they do a great job out there, looking after horses and making sure that they're protected over when they're travelling over rough terrain. So um, yeah, so they're, they're they're crucial to our business, really. Mm. Yeah
0: and who would you say kind of is your target customer is it more um you know people who have barefoot horses that kind of ride for pleasure or is mm-hmm. it um you know competitive horses show horses uh, or a mixture mm-hmm. It's, it's a mixture,
2: but it's pr- primarily recreational riders mm. who um, hit the trails on a weekend or, of course, in America you have um, rides that go on for weeks at a time. Mm. Um, we also have uh, professional riders using our product. Um, the Swedish Olympic team that won gold at the last Olympics, they all train yeah. most three out of the four team members train in our Scoop Boots. I
0: was apparently. going to ask you about yeah. them. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Peter Fredrickson, he trains, he does all his training in Scoop Boots. Oh, wow. And, um, so, and we've, also got a lot of European show jumpers, some of which will use our product in competition as well. Hmm. Um, we also have dressage riders um, using our product, not so much in the dressage arena, but they will use our product um, with training yeah. and also a lot of other riding disciplines as well. Endurance, in, endurance I was just going to ask, do the endurance yeah, I'm sure people that's use a big market. Yeah. They do. They do for their training. A lot of the larger rides like Tevis, um, a lot of the, I don't know about a lot, but I know some will shoe, some barefoot riders will shoe their horse for those big, long rides, but they will do a lot of their training in boots. Some of the smaller rides, the endurance riders will use boots. Um, A lot of them will use glue-ons. We also sell glue-ons as well. We're in the process of designing a new glue-on. Um, which is um, way superior than the one that we've, that the one that we sell right now. But um, yeah, so endurance, um, a lot of other different um, uh, disciplines, barrel racing, reining. We, we're just about to start marketing to the reining market because our product is the only product that will, the only hoof boot that will fit over a slider. And I, I believe that there are a lot of rainers that, or raining horses who are confined to stables because it's too dangerous for them to go outside because of the sliders that they wear. So we're going to give these horses an opportunity to be able to live a normal life mm. with their sliders on but also with boots on their rear so that they don't slide and they can pretty much move around without any potential for injury mm-hmm. so so that's exciting so we're just about to launch our campaigns for that i'm just about to do a shoot here in australia of one of our top reiners um, so we can get some content for the campaigns so that's very exciting and again looking at the welfare side of the the business how right. we can help these horses yeah yeah of course, these horses have to be shod for the for the dif- the discipline that they're competing in.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I have a racehorse background, but I was talking about the boots the other day, and I had some friends saying that they used to treadmill their horses a lot in the winter time because I live in New York, and they were like up near Buffalo, New York, and it was very cold. So, yes. um, they would put the boots on the horses to go on the treadmill, and they lasted their treadmill lasted years longer than most people's.
0: Wow, is that
2: right? I didn't know that. That stands to reason, doesn't it? Because it's rubber.
0: Yeah. Yeah
2: got metal on rubber yeah, yeah i thought that was interesting i was like oh i should mention that <laughs> oh, no. Well, treadmills are so expensive yeah and if you've got horses pounding on the treadmill all day long in shoes yeah yeah probably wouldn't last long at all yeah so that's uh, that's great that's that's another <laughs> there's
0: your next marketing program. idea <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> just get with the major treadmill distributors to yep. um to sell yeah. alongside the treadmill.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just making some notes here while we're talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and so, you know, starting in Australia, um, and you've said that U.S. is kind of a, a bigger market that you want to move more into, um, what does your market share look like in the U.S. now?
2: Um, It's growing month by month. Um, I don't know what our market share is. I don't think there are too many European brands in America. Um, There's probably maybe 10 brands in the world, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, most of which are in Europe. There's um, a few in America. So I think uh, we're up there in market share. Um, So... Um, Which is surprising really, considering we're an Australian brand and I know that a lot of Americans are quite loyal to um, their homegrown brands, just like we are in Australia um, and everywhere else. But um, I I think that, um, I think, you know, as I said, our market is growing there. Um, It's a big empty space. There are more and more people getting educated about the benefits of going barefoot with their horse so the market is continually opening up so there's more than enough market for everyone i think but um yeah no we we're, we're doing well in america we're we're happy with the way we're traveling but um we we of course you know always looking for um looking for areas that we want to open up and um and of course market to that particular audience i know of course um california is a big state that we sell to texas up in washington um uh, arizona it's just you know a whole lot of places where a whole lot of people do a whole lot of writing
0: right did you
1: did you see a spike in sales
2: after the swedish team won um, look, we see a spike in sales um, every, every month. Um, hmm. So there was a, a spike in interest in Japan where the, the Olympics was held. Um, hmm. But I think there was certainly a spike in the amount of uh, professional show jumpers that mm. took an interest in Scoot Boots and other show jumpers across the globe and especially in Europe. So, um, of course, you know, the community talks and, and everyone right. is looking at what the leaders in show jumping are doing. You know, the world number one show jumper, I'm not sure, changes around it, but
0: I think it's Peter right now, I think. It's Henrik. Um, yeah, so he
2: uses Scoot Boots as well. Yeah, yeah, his horse perfect.
0: is barefoot. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he does
2: all his training in Scoot Boots King King
0: King Edward King Edward. That's it. Yeah.
2: So he transitioned, I think, about two years ago. So he went straight into Scoots. Yeah. So um, yeah. So they're looking at the top show jumpers and what they're doing and and following, which is great for us. So we've got a lot of show jumpers now in our product. I think it's
1: funny because there's a lot of Swedish trainers uh, here in America in the harness racing side of things, and that is kind of one of their go tos. Sometimes um, at certain tracks, that they'll if they're racing in heats, they'll race the first heat in shoes, and then the second heat, they'll pull the shoes off.
2: Is that right? Why yeah, do they
1: do that? Uh, they think that they get more speed out of it. Uh, so you know, is the
2: lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, hmm. Yeah, but I know in Australia, um, so that it's an equal playing field, all horses have to have plates, mm. aluminium plates, um, I know that in, in Tasmania, I think that you can you can race a, a barefoot horse, but it has to be on synthetic surface. But um, that's amazing that they're allowed to yeah. do that because they're not allowed to do that here. But I do see a shift across the globe with racehorse trainers and also racehorse farriers, They're head farriers. They're looking at um, going, a lot of them are going, Bear. a lot of the trainers here in Tasmania are um, going there as well. Uh, well, we don't have that many, but the the lead, lead trainers here are, are doing that also on the mainland. Um, the horse that won the Melbourne Cup last year, he's doing all his training in Scoot Boots. So, there is a mighty shift. Yeah. And I think a lot of cause a lot of thoroughbreds were are usually shod as two year olds and they haven't had time for their feet to develop properly. So you hear people talking about, you know, I've got typical thoroughbred feet. Well, it's because they've got puny bulbs and nothing's developed because they've been in shoes all their lives since at such a young age. But trainers now are realizing they can't they, they have to leave their young ones bare. So they've got a sufficient time to develop, which is a great thing. I'm loving hearing this. Yeah,
0: yeah. it makes me think about the hunters um, in the U.S. And like for the what they call the hat classes, um, you know, where they're judged on their movement. Um, a lot of them will pull the shoes for the hat class. So their feet are lighter. So they move better wow and then they'll i see them put on you know like some kind of wrap boot over them to walk them back to the ferry or to get the shoes back on or to walk back to the barn and that sort of thing
2: i'm um, wondering why they don't leave them barefoot then if that's the case. i
0: know i do too yeah i, I then, i've wondered that is why you know why wouldn't you want them and i think it's i i do think it's because everybody thinks that they'll be better protected with shoes on right. and you know and, that, and this
2: is this is what we do as well. We try and spread the word and we try and let everyone know, you know, there's a better option here. Like it's a 2,000-year-old industry mm. and there's we've come so far in our IT and technology and, and we've advanced so far in, in those years but the horse still has to wear this archaic shoe that started thousands of years ago. <laughs> so we try and let everyone know, hey, you know what, there's a there's a there's not just a healthier, better option, but it's cheaper as well. Right. Yeah. And um, so it's just, I think, about just shouting out at the top of our voices, hey, there's a better way. You don't have to get the farrier to put your shoes on and off. Why don't you just use boots? Your mm-hmm. horse moves much more nicely without shoes on. And just do it. Yeah. <laughs> just do it.
1: <laughs> and and it's not really eliminating a farrier. They're still going to need a trim.
2: Oh right. yeah, for sure. Right? And and as I said earlier on, this farrier might want to pivot and and sell boots. I mean, we have different ways a farrier can sell or, or a barefoot trimmer. They can um, they, they can join our affiliate program where they get a, a commission for every boot they sell or they can just have boots in their, their van or their, their use or whatever they use, their pickup truck, um, and just sell them um, on the day that they, you know, and it's not back, back-breaking work like putting shoes on. You know, they—it's just yeah. sizing, you know, trimming the horse and sizing them up, and um, selling a pair of boots. Hmm. So, and yeah. what what other kind of distribution channels do you have besides farriers? Yeah, we have um, all different types of stockists. We segment our stockists. We've got approximately oh, probably six hundred across the globe. Wow, and those. Stockers are all different types. They might be farriers, barefoot trimmers, equine podiatrists, body workers. And then there might be um, bricks and water, um, retail shops, um, online shops. And then you've got a lot of um, stockers who will sell to all of those Different mm. types of stockers that I've just mentioned. So, um, we have a whole range of different types of stockers, but um, they're scattered across the globe. We have more and more in America now. They're mainly, I think, barefoot trimmers and farriers in America rather than online stores. But they're growing every day. We get new um, people, new stockers signing up every week. So,
1: are you trying it's, to stay off the internet markets, stores, and out of
2: traditional? No. What we're trying to do now is we, we did earlier on, we didn't want to really have our stockers selling online or on in bricks and mortar because one of the pain points in our business is sizing Mm. so we have to make sure that the end user gets the correct size but we've got a lot of brand awareness out there in the world now and a lot of people are aware of how our size fits uh, sorry how our product fits and what size they should wear and also a lot of the end users will help other end users getting into the right size and we've also got a lot of material now at point of sale so um we now are at in a position where we can go into the tax stores and, um, and sell online or other stockers sell online because we've got all that material that is available to the end user to make sure that they do get the correct size and the optimum fit. Hmm.
0: And do you sell direct to customers? Yes, we do. You do that as well.
2: Yeah. We our business is 90% wholesale and 10% retail Um, Probably 70% of our business, 70% is in Europe and the rest is in America and to a lesser extent here in Australia. So um, when I say Europe, the EU, um, countries in the EU and also the Scandinavian region as well, Mm -hmm. UK is big for us. So, uh, yeah, it's a big market in Europe and unbelievably we don't, Market in Europe, it's just by word of mouth and and product speaking for itself. Wow. So it's it's amazing that you can get a product and have it and have such a market share in in Europe without really doing too much. I think. Yeah,
1: we've heard that before, haven't we? With the woman who made the girths.
0: Yes, and I was just going to yeah. mention her too yeah. because I think it, she had a common uh, point, and I think. Everyone kind of says that about the equestrian industry is so much of it is word of mouth and, <laughs> you know, getting to the right people. And, um, you know, I think you said you've worked with um, professional riders and things like that. Do you use them as testimonials or as spokespeople too? We do. We do. We're just about to sign up and a show
2: jumping ambassador here in Australia, one of our top show jumpers. Yeah. And so um, we will uh, use him as um, our ambassador for Australia. We do we can't work with Peter um, because he has his own um, sponsors um, yeah. that back him. Um, but um, we we are also sponsoring um, some French show jumpers, yeah. um, Julian, um, whose surname escapes me. I should have those names in front of me. Um, we're in the process of sponsoring some French riders. We sponsor a Belgium show jumper who's um, jumping at Grand Prix level. So um, we sponsor a, a rider in South Africa who jumps Grand Prix. Um, also in New Zealand, so we do have uh, not so much in America though. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really have any sponsored riders there. So if there are any um, Grand Prix show jumpers that are <laughs> to this podcast who jump barefoot and um, Grand Prix dressage riders, or any um, elite um, elite professional rider, um, give yeah. us a shout and we will we'll have a. You know, we can talk. So, but yes, we do. It's um, it's something that we very much are interested in pursuing as well. Um, and yeah, it's a good way to get your product out there and for everyone to see it. Right. Do you have different strategies for different parts of the world? For yes. Yeah, we do. We, for example, um, you know, if we wanted to have a campaign pitching at how good our our Product is uh, on um, terrain on different types of terrain and and its its traction. Like we wouldn't be, for example, a lot of riders in America will be riding out in the desert and a lot of rock and sand. Mm-hmm. Or you wouldn't pitch how good our product is with its traction on that type of terrain to, for example, an audience in Europe because they have completely different terrain. Right. So. It is, we do target our audiences differently compared, um, but it depends on where they are in the world. So, yes, we have different campaigns. We don't run too many campaigns in Europe because, of course, the language barriers Mm -hmm. that we uh, encounter. But, um, yes, we have different types of campaigns for different types of regions.
1: Hmm. And what kind of research did you do to come up with those ideas for the campaign, like word of mouth and you've sent
2: um, somebody there we do a lot of research thank god we've got the internet and <laughs> yes. a lot of social media channels where you get to i'm involved in a lot of barefoot groups and um hoof care groups and you get to see what people are talking about and what they want and what they need and and what 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 you know what's we can who we can market to and so it's really just doing your own research and finding out what gaps there are in the market and who you can pitch to and it's just it's really just about common sense and and finding it's hard because there really isn't too much research out there and the research Mm -hmm. that is there it's it can be a little bit old but yeah, it's just getting it, getting out there, and just seeing who, who needs what, and and um, and just gauging the market.
1: You have you kind of have focus groups at the at your fingertips now, right? With all the I groups do, absolutely, yeah.
2: they do all the work for you, really, because they they, you know, you read about what what they're saying, and and you know the topic of the week, and. And people weigh in on their comments. And so you really get an idea of what's going on out there by just reading and just doing the research yourself. You can, I guess you can retain um, people to do that research. But again, it's it's really hard to go out and find all that
0: information. And it's quite expensive as well. Right. And when you started the company, who was part of... Um of the startup was it just you and your partner or did you have employees just, just you <laughs> wow
2: no, no there was there was uh, of course Dave the creator of Scoop Boots and one other person that I brought in who happened to be my nephew he just I snatched him as he came out of university um having done a commerce degree but It was just the three of us, but Dave was really busy with another business that he had, an online business. So it was really just the two of us and really me. Um, I worked seven days a week, long days and nights, and I had to do everything. So... I got a bit of burnout after a couple of years and realised this this obviously isn't sustainable. Yeah. But as we grew, um, all our profits went back into the business. And we, as, as I said earlier on, we developed new products and accessories and were able to get a bit of money behind us to start employing new people. Thanks. So then I was able to back away from all the stuff that I was doing because I had other people, of course, doing those roles. But now we've got a marketing team and we have a um, customer service experience team and we have a uh, warehouse team and we have, um, you know, we have all, I have all the people here around me and they are way, way smarter than me and way more clever than me. So I can just rely upon them to do the best job ever and they are Mm. so i'm i've surrounded myself with really really clever people innovative people and they're all very much focused on making sure that we um are focused on or looking after the, the welfare of horses and not just selling a product as well. Right. They're very passionate about horses. Half the team have horses, or probably a quarter of the team have horses themselves, but um, they are passionate about our product and passionate about the welfare of horses. So it's great to have a team
0: like that that are you know involved in this business. Yeah, and they have a reason to care about what they produce and, and why they're selling yes. it. Yes, yes. And did you was it um, just investing profits back in that you were able to grow, or was it like investors yeah. that you took on?
2: Didn't take on any investors.
0: Oh, well, so all yeah. the all the um,
2: the growth in the business was by just reinvesting from profits mm-hmm. of the business. Amazing. So. Um, No, there's um, we just grew the business through um, just trying to um, we just put all our profits back in and and just grow it as quickly as we could. I mean, we only had, as I said earlier on, eight sizes. We've now, I think, almost got I've actually lost count of how many sizes we have now (laughs) and different types of scoop boots. And uh, we've, you know, recently launched our um, new. adjustable boot not long ago. Um so all our we're all our energy and money is going back into the business to just try and make it as best we try and improve it as best we can and Mm. get more people in to scale up. This this year we're scaling. Last year had a bit of a restructure, but this year we're we're scaling and it's the first time we've been able to so all our we've got all our team now to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we're very excited about this year and and getting getting yeah increasing our sales and getting into new markets. When you started, did you did you work on the patent and stuff? Because you're a lawyer, did you have experience with that? No, uh, I I do. I did. I studied my master. I, I have a master's in law and um one of the um, subjects was design patents and patents and trademarks and but no i didn't um so we had a patent lawyer right from the start a patent attorney Um, we still have the same one he's been with us um, the whole time and he uh he does all our patents we've got patents filed all across the globe and many of them and also trademarks so I do do a little bit of legal work in the business. I draft a lot of our own contracts. I put out a lot of fires as a former litiga- litigation lawyer.
0: Yeah, and, that helps. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. My sister, um, she also is the director of finance, and she's also has a, a a legal background, a former practicing lawyer. So we both strategize together. We do a lot of the legal work together. We both have brainstorming sessions and you know, work on our, um, I mean, I could brief that out as well, but by the time you instruct a lawyer of exactly what you want in the agreement, you you may as well do it yourself. So right, yeah. both of us working on, on these agreements together, we get it done. But we've got, you know, we've got other lawyers that look after us as well.
0: One of the questions that I'm always interested in asking companies like this that have basically gone from, you know, one person to, you know a big staff is um you know do you hire employees because you see the need coming or do you wait until you have the money in order to hire the employees i feel like it's always a tipping point that's really hard to yeah. gauge and it's different yeah. for everyone but i wonder yeah. how you dealt with it yeah. No, we we get ready, so we don't hire the lawyer when the lawyer,
2: the the employee, when we need one. We I, I I'm always um, looking at what we need for the future, and I uh, and I'm um, looking at um, what I, I, like I plan a year in advance for mm-hmm. who we need. So. I always make sure that we have that person trained up and ready to go when um, we know that we're going to be busy, when Mm -hmm. we know we're scaling or entering into a new market. Hmm. So that's very much a forward planning objective of mine. Interesting. And
1: what do you do for manufacturing? Do you do it in-house or you hire that out?
2: No, that's done in Jakarta. And um, we have a dedicated factory that does all our own manufacturing. They don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And they have a huge factory over there with around 100 people that are um, just producing Scoot Boots every day. Mm-hmm. So they've got a great team. We have a great relationship with our manufacturer, which is unusual. Um, it's very... Um, uh, 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 it's... It's a very trusting relationship and we're both codependent on one another. (laughs) So, and they do an amazing job for us. Absolutely amazing. I think we'd be lost without them. So I'm very grateful that we have this relationship with our manufacturer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, for anybody making a product i feel like that's one of the most important relationships is because they have to care about the quality of what they're producing as much as you you know you want to have that quality to send out to customers Absolutely. and we we
2: hardly ever get any warranty claims mm. um you know we might have instances where a front strap might break or um you know one of the one of the you know components to the scoop boot but um we always provide spares um with every pair of scoop boots that are purchased mm. so um they're easily replaceable but we have no warranty claims it's our our, our product is so robust and and made so well that we're very, very lucky to have a manufacturer such as the one we have who really does make sure that we get good product out there, good quality. It, product.
1: Did it take you a long time to find this manufacturer?
2: No, because my, my business partner um, had a relationship previously with them when he was, um, so he was the, I don't know whether you've heard of, his name's David MacDonald. When he produced that boot, he, of course, set up those, established those relationships at that time. So he had already developed those relationships prior to starting Scoop Boot and um, forged those relationships. So he actually approached them and said, do you want to do, produce this new product? And, of course, they jumped at that and started their own business. And, as I said, they just produced solely for Scoop Boot. The old Max—that's what they're called. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's
1: shift a little bit and talk about you and what your day looks like, and and what you do. oh
2: well, my day is always different. Um, I um, really—I I don't work in the business at all. I work on the business. I look at opportunity, new markets, way we can scale. Um, so my day really would be just different every single day. But my day really begins with walking the DEO, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if, for those who are listening, the DEO is the dog executive officer in this <laughs> he's very <laughs> handsome <Yes. laughs> he's my very big 81 kilo great dame so
1: <laughs> and if you want to know more about him you can go to their website because he's listed on there
2: <laughs> it's where I
1: found it <laughs>
2: <laughs> Um yeah so my day is very different but I make sure as opposed to the first few years in this business when I was starting it up that I take I schedule a bit of time out for myself because um, having burnt out, I don't want to do that again. It was was debilitating. So um, I I make sure that I look after myself now so I don't get too stressed. And so, you know, I love to um, go out and I start my day also with a bit of yoga, maybe walk along the beach um so that's definitely um what I do how I start my day my usual day but insofar as the business it's different every time sometimes I'll come into the office um sometimes I work from home um and it just depends on where I am in the world I have to travel quite a bit Mm -hmm. so um I might be away a lot and but um yeah it's always different what, what makes –
1: um what's the best thing that makes owning your business or makes it oh, easier?
2: It's just being, a, I guess, a master of your own destiny mm-hmm. and just seeing this business grow and 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 seeing how our product is – how everyone loves our product and – well, just about everyone. So unfortunately, there are people out there that have had a bad experience with Scoot Boots because clearly they haven't got the right size or the right fit, and they've had experienced problems and they blame it on the product, it's usually the reason why it's caused those problems or rubbing issues or whatever is because it, they haven't got the right size and they haven't mm. got the effort of finding that out. But, um, you know, m- on the whole, most people love our product, so it's really exciting to see people just get excited about our product and, and, and just helping horses and making sure that, you know they live they they, they live a life of um, of being barefoot and being comfortable not having to have shoes nailed onto the end of their feet and so it's it's really exciting to have this business and being able to help so many horses out there and just another thing um, as well we have we're just about to launch the the world's first ever app for sizing so tomorrow is our official launch where the Minister for Science and Technology will be launching our new app. It's in the app stores right now. Um, so a person, the end user who's wanting to purchase a pair of scoop boots can launch the app. Mm-hmm onto their phone and um, and, and size and, and follow the instructions on how to measure and what photos to take. And then it is uploaded automatically once they're in Wi-Fi to our interface. And then our sizing team can then just click on the photos and it will automatically spit out the size rather than um, having to figure out what size that customer is. So we're very excited about this.
0: How long into... After starting the business, I think you said maybe it was a, a few years that you knew you had to step back from all of the day-to-day operations. And how did you know when to do that and why?
2: Oh, well, I got very sick. I, I got I was diagnosed with polymyalgia, which is um, autoimmune disease. And they don't really know what it's caused from. But Usually it's from stress. Mm. So I knew back then that I had to do something about that. So it's a disease that burns out. So I had it for around a year. So during that year I set about trying to get more people in um, to do what I was doing and, and just just taking time out for yourself. And, I mean, I've had a little bit of help along the way as well because sometimes you get dragged into the business mm-hmm. and um, and I've had a, a business coach, a business mentor, who's helped me along the way. Shout out to Rachel here in Hobart. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, my dog <laughs> is the DEO.
0: The DEO. <laughs> he's making his thoughts known as I well. Think,
2: I think he's wanting to come. <laughs> um so um um, did that answer your question i'm sorry
0: i I... yeah yeah i just um i think you know for you it it was an obvious point where you knew you had to make a change um i think some people don't always know when to you know stop taking it on them everything on
2: themselves oh they don't and it's really you know stress you can't see what stress is doing to your body but you know, it's doing it's doing all these things that are going to catch up with you at some stage, which it mm. did with me. And so for all those um, equine business owners out there who are, you know, just working long hours and not looking after themselves, you have to stop. And I know sometimes it's difficult because you don't have anyone else to do it, but you really have to at least slow down and, and, and schedule some time in for yourself and not try and get as stressed as you know, you you normally do because it really, you know, without you, the business is going to suffer. So you mm-hmm. have to really take stock and really just listen and, and try and just exercise some mindfulness every mm-hmm. day. Otherwise, you will get burnout. It's you just can't sustain that type of, you know, those types of hours every day, all day, and the stress and doing everything. It's it's just, <laughs> it, it's it's really it's so hard.
0: Yeah, I think that's good advice for someone. Sorry. It's good advice for, you know, business owners that are, I, you know, I think, like you said, you put, you had to put a ton of time in when you started it. And I think that's what people have to expect. And when you are a business owner, you know, it starts and ends with you. And a lot of people have the dream of owning their own business and being their own boss without realizing, you know, the sheer amount of work that you have to put oh, in. You know, yeah. you, do, you don't just clock in nine to five like you would at a normal job. So, yeah. um, you know, you it have- takes that investment in the beginning in order to um,
2: yeah.
0: get to the point where you can say, okay, I'm taking a step back and I'm having people help me.
2: But you never stop thinking about your business. Like right. I walk along the beach um, and I will be mulling about in my head, okay, how am I going to solve this problem or what will I do here? Or, and that's just that's just what, what us business owners would do anyway. Sometimes right. you just can't help but, you know, have those thoughts <laughs> in your head all the time. I mean, I, I live and breathe Scoop Boot. Uh, and so, you know, it's a bit hard just to completely um check out but for sure you know it it is it is tough but you know you do have to be mindful of it
0: Mm. Mm. well i think that gives us a great place to um conclude the first part of our conversation and kind of leads into what we do at the end of every episode where we ask the same four questions to each guest and connor starts with the first what is one action
1: that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Um,
2: okay. Well, I think education is a, a huge thing. And I'm not just talking about um, getting a university degree. I'm talking about any type of education which will give you knowledge and skills and confidence to pursue their goals um, and make informed decisions along the way. So, you know, online learning, um, um, -learning, self-learning, anything that's going to equip them with um, the tools to be able to do what they want to do, what they they set out to do. Um, And, you know being an entrepreneur and 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 I suspect a lot of female entrepreneurs out there listening to this um, it, it, education is the foundation of being an entrepreneur and starting and and running a successful business so um, it seems that you know women who are educated are more likely to hopefully succeed um, and create job opportunities for others and mm-hmm. for themselves. Personal growth, we touched on that earlier on, about making sure you look after yourself, scheduling time for yourself. And when I say schedule, I mean put it in your diary because Mm -hmm. I get up and I look at my calendar and I think, okay, what am I doing today? So if I schedule my yoga routine in the morning, well, I will do it. So, um, you know, just fostering personal growth and development that boosts their confidence, um, and take um, advocacy and leadership courses um, because if you're building a business from the ground up, you have to be a good leader. Because if you're not a good leader, you know your your you people are going to go. So um, that's really important. You know, helping to drive positive change in a community, breaking stereotypes and barriers. So all of these um, all of these are <laughs> I, I think ways that you can empower
0: yourself to to pursue what you want to do. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Oh, I touched on this earlier
2: on too, just uh, scheduling time for myself. One thing I love to do is just get on my horse and and do the trails, the nature trails around my my property, around my area, go to the beach either on my horse or with my (laughs) DEO. or with my family and friends. Um I think to be to to continue to be motivated, you've got to be you've got to be healthy and you've got to be happy and you've got to be able to focus. So you have to take time out and do all those things. So yeah, just just getting out in the fresh air and riding and And getting to the beach I'm surrounded by beaches so I'm very lucky (laughs) surrounded by the ocean so I spend a lot of time on the ocean so that keeps me motivated as well and keeps me um, gives me clear head to think well and and be able to I guess be able to work effectively so yeah scheduling that timing it's most important so I can keep motivated personally that's important Sure, can I ask
0: a random question. Yeah, um, how big is Tasmania? <laughs>
2: it's tiny,
0: <laughs> it's a little island
2: uh, just below Australia. We are still part of Australia, and it probably to give you a little bit of an idea when you're up in the cockpit in a plane, you can see um, the east coast and the west coast, so probably um, a lot of Tasmania is uninhabitable. You can't actually access it because there's ancient forest. Um, so there are no tracks or trails or roads or anything, especially in the southwest. But if you were to go from the southern part, part where the road ends um, in Tasmania up to the north, it would probably take you four hours okay. to get from north to south as as far as the road goes because the road stops Down south, there is, you can go further down if you walk or fly, but um, the road stops. But, um, and probably four hours to get from east to west. So it's pretty small. Yeah. There's only 500,000 people
0: here. Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I drove four hours this morning. <laughs> I, know, I know I drive four hours
0: pretty easily too. You almost drove off our island. <laughs> oh,
1: man, I wonder if my company has um needs a rep there. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Because my territory, like I have a very big territory, I have the whole entire Northeast. For the company I work for and
2: I drive a lot. <laughs> mm. Oh right. Well you wouldn't be able to here, isn't it? Well, room, but it sounds sounds lovely. Like we're the um the where the closest land mass to the Antarctic. Ah, so yeah. Wow. So it's um yeah, it's quite it's it's where our resource here is the wilderness. So we have a lot of tourists coming over and just doing seeing all the beautiful beaches and and the and the wilderness so it's really beautiful here so and I, i'm really i love that i can work from this beautiful island and mm-hmm. and and just sell my product to the rest of the globe and and do it from this little little island it's pretty so special cool. That's mm. a- what's your favorite horse movie oh okay right well it has to be the man from snowy river <laughs> <laughs> You have heard of it?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. It's really old. I think it was filmed in the 1980s, but um, it was based on a, a poem. But um, it's um, a bit of a love story and it was filmed in the um, high country, snowy region in, um, in Victoria and with an area which I've ridden a lot in. It's just mind-blowingly beautiful. But um, you've got some serious riding going on in that movie. So a lot of Australian stock horses, the breed, were yeah. used, and they're really hardy little things um, in that, that were used in this movie. So they're very short-footed, and they're bred to um, to work on the stations here in Australia. Um, they're very versatile breed. So um, yeah, that would have to be my 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 best one right up there, really as a best movie of all time, I think. I think <laughs> a lot of people would agree with me.
1: Um, <laughs> I know my one. dad would. My dad totally would. And when we were kids and we had uh, VCRs, we probably went through two VCR tapes of Man from Snowy River. We watched it so much. So
2: that's <laughs> great. And return to Snowy River also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I loved it though. How he, like, did he really canter down
0: that really steep mountain? Mm -hmm. Whoa. (laughs) And our um, last question is, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Oh, look... I,
2: I guess I'd have to be biased here because one of our stockers here in Australia, she has a well her the family have a um an on a bricks and mortar store and also an online store and it's called sandals dot au. And um, so they buy pro- uh, quite a lot of product from us. They're one of our stockers. And the, so, as I said, I'm a bit biased, so I'm putting forward that um, business um, because um, you know they they support us selling our products. So, um, and it'd be good to have another Australian on, on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: make
0: it three in a row.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we
1: might have to make a trip over.
0: Yeah. yeah, you might. Visit all of our podcast guests. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, um her name is Becky Gold. I think she is the manager in the business. Um but it, you know, perhaps reach out and see whether um, they might be interested and um and yeah. So they they're located on the Sunshine Coast, which is in Queensland. Now you definitely love to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um it's just one big Uh, never-ending white beach coastline (laughs) gorgeous so yeah a lot of people go there
0: to to have their holidays so yeah so thank you so much for speaking with us today um it was really interesting to learn more about you and how you built such a great business thank you i i really love telling people about the journey and, and how we can help
2: horses along the way. And it's, it's, it's just a great business. I love it. And I love that we can help, help all the horses out there that use our product and, and can feel way more comfortable and, and, um, can stay barefoot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to Annette and learning more about how she started this company. Um, I think there's so many examples of people like her who, you know, kind of fall into an idea and, you know, lots of people have great ideas, but it really takes someone special to be able to turn it into a thriving business and become like a global brand like she has. And that's truly special.
1: Yeah, I think... One of the things that struck me early is how she had ridden when she was younger and then she left it to go Mm. work in her legal business. And I think that not a lot of people do that, right? Like, or we're concerned about can we let go of riding and will Mm -hmm. you return to it and I think that she's a perfect example of you know what you can shift your focus and if you have enough passion for it you're going to come back to it and you might even be more fulfilled by horses and riding when you come back to it right you know because she has such a passion for what she's doing she really does
0: yeah that's It comes through, you know, in the way she talks about it and and how much it matters to her. And I think that's another important um, reason why she's successful is, I mean, yes, you can have a good product and you can believe in your product. But, you know, what it does for horses and how it can help them and, and how it can help them be healthier, that sort of mission really can make a big difference in someone who is trying to start a business and and keep it successful. You know, if you have this passion for and reason for doing it, like she said, other than just making a profit, um, you know, that really can be what keeps the fire in you to keep going.
1: Yeah, and she also mentioned that her team has a passion for it as well, right. which I think yeah. is very important when you're thinking about hiring people and adding people to your team. You want to yeah. make sure that they they have that same kind of passion that you do, or desire, or, you know, same interest, mm-hmm. because then they carry it with them every day. Yeah, you know,
0: and that is the ultimate goal, and. business will come along with it. Yeah. And the success will come from it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like like a lot of um, what I do in the company I work for, I mean, I carry it with me everywhere I go. I live it day to day. It's not just a job to me. It's not just a, you know, I work for this corporation. I live it, you know, I Mm -hmm. breathe it. I'm in the horse industry and it just it was like um, a perfect fit. And I think I'm very successful at what I do because of that, because I, I don't have to try super
0: hard because it's just in me. Hmm. For sure. And yeah, I think it's, it's a good opportunity to show people who may be thinking about starting their own business and, and have them look deeper into why they're doing it and why they're starting it and why it's what is it that sets them apart from, um, from competitors and, you know, when people talk about mission statements and a lot of people don't, I don't think consider them an important part of starting a business and and carrying it along and maybe adjusting that mission statement as you grow. But it really does set the tone for what you're doing and and why you're doing it and, um, I would say she probably is very firm in her mission statement and and what that company aims to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I really liked is how she kind of said um, what their pain point is. Like she admitted that there are people out there who may have had some issues with mm-hmm. their product, and you know, kind of why. and And I think that um, that's important for you to look at also when you Mm. have a business is, you know, what, what is, you know, a pain point or what could go wrong or, you know, admitting that you actually do have, you may have somebody that doesn't love your product and that's okay.
2: You know,
0: (laughs) but on the other hand, if that is the biggest barrier for people using the product, they're now they're, they're doing something about it. They're addressing right. it. They're making the app. They're making it easier for people to find the right size so that they're using her product correctly and it's benefiting their horses. So um, yeah, I think that's what people in any business should be doing is identifying what's not working and what, what you do to fix it. Um, and you know, customer service is a big part of it, but customer service can only get you so far if the product isn't working correctly. Yeah. And um and if it's user error, then how do you correct user error right. on on things like this? And um and they have they aim to do that now. So uh, I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, that was really interesting. And then I do have to point out one more thing, and that how it was really funny when we connected with her um, about the scoop boots, and then I ran into somebody that happened to use them, and it was like a random conversation, and they're talking about. Their standard bread and it was going barefoot and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, we're gonna be interviewing somebody from a company in Australia and she was like, oh, scoop boots. <laughs> I was like, yes, actually, yes, actually yes. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool that like the universe delivered somebody to me <laughs> that was like, I love them. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. I'm I'm really glad and I, I also am pretty excited that we made it to australia
0: right yeah we have at least one listener in australia yeah, absolutely <laughs> yay if you're from australia uh, give us a shout out on facebook or instagram and let us know uh because we like hearing from people yeah. from uh outside our own country and and know that it's reaching somewhere else that's really cool
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it's getting a little late tonight because of that time change that we had. I know, that
0: 15-hour time zone difference
1: that we had to do for recording. Yeah, yeah. so you guys can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the
0: 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so others can find us too. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network.
1: Now go block time for yourself.